if the Gentiles, us, are stumbling because parts of the gospel have been removed, and God says, I'm going to bring it back to you very plain and preciously so that the purpose is you no longer stumble, how can you say that that then, that, that information that's been brought back to you doesn't supersede the information that you had before that caused you to stumble? <laughs> it's, it's logical. It's the only explanation. And so my only request is that if you don't believe that, that's totally within all of our agency to believe in what we want. But don't say that somebody is twisting or someone is superseding Scripture above other Scripture because of their own desires or just admit the fact that I reject what the Book of Mormon says. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome, Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. Stark. <laughs> Let's try that again. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We had a little technical difficulty this morning, so I've got some mics plugged into different inputs. So we were muted for a minute. But if you hear any buzzing... It uh, just ignore that. It's, it's just in your own ears or whatever. <laughs> Till we, uh, it's, it seems to be running okay now. And we're circling back. We we we've been going through uh, twenty truths of the Book of Mormon that the Mormons can't teach, and that the restora- the restoration doesn't uh, necessarily teach, uh, at least in um, in all of its purity or uh, as emphatically as we probably should. And we were on number two, which was talking about the atonement, and we were going to take up there. But uh, in the meantime, in the last few weeks, we've had some classes. And Corey is – this is a great format. And I want to say uh, the – I'm not going to mention the name, but th- these classes are all published online, and the people of the congregation know that they're being recorded and uh, live and on their website. So anybody commenting knows that that those comments are going to be – uh, public knowledge and so, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mention the person's name, but we did invite them to come to the podcast, and uh, I didn't even get a response, um, no no response at all, because I am not. This is uh, when we're talking about the truth of God and the scriptures. How important is that in our lives? I think it's extremely important. In fact, you know, unlike any other book of scripture in the world, here you have the Book of Mormon, and what we didn't get was an angel coming to Joseph Smith saying, okay, Joseph, now I'm going to take you to this hole in the ground and there's a set of plates there, but I'm warning you, they're flawed and you're going to have to kind of figure out on your own what's true and what isn't and then come up with your own doctrine and don't worry, you know, God will lead you by his spirit. You know, that isn't what we got. We, we got this record that came to us out of purity, unlike any other record. And and so the context for the class was that the Book of Mormon is the standard. And as you heard our, our, the comment of our brother, um, he flatly refuted that, and, and, and he said it's not yeah, correct. Yeah, I I so I want to go through this kind of point by point, and maybe we'll play and stop. And, and 
I, I don't want this to seem unfair. Yeah, exactly. This isn't to bully anybody. And, and really, I would rather that, uh, that he took us up on our offer and come. I think sometimes you learn more. Well, I think I learn more. I know I do from having opposing views and then reasoning together. The nice thing about reasoning out of the Book of Mormon is it's not I don't feel there's as, as much gray area, if any, or any leeway to have these differing opinions as there is in a lot of other scripture, and we'll get into why that is. The, the other thing, um, opposing views are, are good, and, and there's no fear when it comes to the truth of the Word, and the Word of God stands up for itself, and the Holy Spirit then uses that Word to convince us, I think, based on our desires and where our heart is. So... I wanted to take a couple of things that were mentioned in this comment because, to be honest, we've, we receive so many great comments. I received a letter, I won't say the name, from a listener in California not too long ago. Husband is a non-member reading the Book of Mormon, having problems justifying the gospel in the Book of Mormon. I should say justifying. Uh, reconciling. Reconciling, thank you, uh, the gospel in the Book of Mormon to tradition. And as she listens to our dialogue about the Word of God and your classes, she mentioned that it was helping that come together and, and how wonderful that was uh, for both of them. We get a lot of comments like that. Occasionally, um, we'll hear from someone, and really only, I think, two or three times there's, there's been some things people have questioned. And I, I respond, and, and one person wrote an email a couple of weeks ago, and so I don't expect you to give me your time. And I said, no, I'd be happy to, to have a, a dialogue with you. I'm, it's, the word, it's the word of God. It's not for too long we try to put our, our own horse in the race and try to convince people to think the way I think as a man, right? And mm-hmm. I don't, that's not our goal at all. It's to invite people to the truth and not to convince them for my own personal benefit. And so... People uh, don't usually follow up and want to come on and debate. I don't know, or even to have dialogue through email. Yeah, they just kind of want to put their point out there and then turn their back and walk away. Yeah. yeah. Well, throughout your classes, Corey, you've experienced some pretty strong spirit of, yeah. and that seems to be the case when Satan or when truth is presented. There seems to be a very uh, oppositional, uh, vehement spirit that rears its head sometimes. And there's been comments, you know, that people say, well, you've been teaching, you know, these theories have been taught forever as if this is, is your theory uh, or, or whatever. And so if, if people don't want to dialogue, then we'll just, I think we should play some of the sentiment that's out there that people hear and then speak to it. Yeah. So, yeah. And again, not to gang up or, or, you know, do anything like that. It's like, hey, we'd love to have the dialogue, but yeah, he, he hasn't responded. So, And, and, and to any listeners that, that are honestly questioning or seeking the Lord, if, if, if you feel very strongly that what we've been teaching out of the Book of Mormon regarding salvation and who God is and its importance in changing our heart, and for instance, you, you follow the traditional teaching of, of the Go Ye and Teach series that there is infinite levels of atonement and, or of salvation and that when you die, you can be with a sun glory, with the Father, or with Jesus and the moon glory, or, or many different stars based on your own merits and how, how well you did on this earth. If you feel very strongly about that, 
and 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 it's in the right spirit. We would love. I would love to have someone in the room with us that we can carry on a dialogue right. that's not in a class setting where we take all of the time away from the material presented. Mm-hmm. So I invite you to reach out to us. Let us know and. And this doesn't doesn't diminish our love for one another at all, or it should not, but it should be for the sake of the people to hear the word of God and allow the Spirit then to to invite them into what is truth. Amen. So let's go back then and take some of these comments, and I'm playing these again. Like I said, not to, I want to refresh my mind. I'm just going to stop when we get to a point, if that's okay, and and or raise your hand, Corey, and let me know if, if there's something you want to that you want to break in where I don't, and we'll stop it and we'll make a comment. But I've got a few notes written down here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So uh, jumping in right there. That's that standard. Where the the class of that the title of that class number five was was that called the standard? I yeah, believe. that was the title of the class. Let's let's turn to the Word of God, Corey. As you're doing out, Corey's without his computer today. Oh, it's so a good when I'm without my. He's computer. analog. He's <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is Nephi's words in the twelfth chapter of Second Nephi, starting about verse forty. 43, it talks about that he's going to remember the covenants he's made with the children of men, that I might set my hand again the second time to recover my people, which are of the house of Israel, and also that I might uh, remember the promises which I have made unto thee, Nephi, and also thy father, that I would remember thy seed. So the promises to Israel, the promises to the people in this land, and the words of your seed should proceed forth out of my mouth unto your seed, and my words shall hiss forth unto the ends of the earth for a standard unto my people. Now, that is what he's saying is that the words that he's speaking to his people, Nephi's seed, will hiss forth unto the ends of the earth for a standard. Now, is that um, is that specifically talking to those words that he's speaking to to Nephi, or does he is he talking about all of my words uh, that I've said from the beginning of time? I think there's. Let's take the context and, and to be fair, make sure we're talking about the the same uh, context here. Yeah. Well, so and, and you could look at it the opposite, and you could say, well, he said, I'm not going to take the words from your seed, but I'm going to speak other words that'll become a standard. All right. So it, it implies to me that the words to his seed would proceed forth out of his mouth to his, to the seed of Nephi. And, and if you, if this is like so many of the Hebrew parallelisms where each level expands on the previous, uh, where it makes a statement, then he shares a little more detail then shares a little more detail at the end. The end is this statement in verse 44. And my word shall hiss forth unto the ends of the earth for a standard unto my people, which are of the house of Israel. And so but the, and to finish that, you got to keep reading. And because my word shall hiss forth, many of the Gentiles shall say, "A Bible, a Bible. We have a Bible. There can't be any more Bible." So the point is, he's talking about a record other than the Bible that becomes a standard, right? And then it, it continues to go on, and and it says, "Hey, what thank you, the Jews? You don't understand this, you, Gentiles. Have you remembered the Jews? You know, there's it's a lengthy discussion on that." But he said, but he continues to now say that I'm going to remember the people on the isles of the sea. I'm going to bring my word unto them um, to the nations of the earth. And uh, again, the, the, it's, it's lengthy in the chapter where it talks about the 
the message of two nations running together that he can prove to them. And he said, because I've spoken a word, you can't suppose that I can't speak another. My work isn't finished until the end. So jumping over to verse 64 and onward, um, he said, I'm going to command men in the east and west. They're going to write and for uh, um, that they shall write the words which I shall speak of them. For out of the books which shall be written, I will judge the world. And I will speak to the Jews, and they will write it. I will speak to, and that's presumably the Bible. I will speak to the Nephites, and they shall write it. That's the book that's other than the Bible. And um, I will speak to the tribes of the house of Israel, which I have led away, and they shall write it. And then, so finally... In verse 71, he says, it'll come to pass that the Jews are going to have the words of the Nephites, and the Nephites will have the words of the Jews. Now, not to go too deep into this, but this is the parallel of Jacob 3, where they transplant branches off of one tree onto the other to keep the trees alive. That's an important point because that's grafting in is to come back to a knowledge of Christ. So the, the Bible will help Nephites, you know, uh, firm up their position in this, and the Book of Mormon is going to help the Jews so that they come to a knowledge of Christ. But in the end, uh, when you finally you know get towards the end of this whole chapter, you find that it's this record of the of the Nephites that the Lord is going to use. And jumping down to verse ninety, where he says, "The Lord speedily come." Uh, the time speedily cometh that the Lord will cause a great division among the people and the wicked will he destroy and he will spare the good people. And so this time that happens is when this word, this record of the Nephites returns to the Jews. That's, that's when we see this big division. So back to your question, and I know it's kind of a long answer, but the point is that, yeah, this, this word does become the standard, and it's explained through the rest of the chapter why it is. Okay. And we're going to make, um, <clears throat> I think we're going to address the basic underlying question here is, is one book of scripture more important than the other? And does one uh, supersede and, and maybe get into, well, the philosophy behind that and whether that's indeed um, correct or not, or what people, what we may think about that. So let me, let me play on here. And this is going to be just a little repetitive. And sorry about the, the quality at the very beginning, the microphone wasn't present uh, for the speaker, but it's, it shortly is thereafter. So, Number one, you don't say it's the standard. You're reading out of the Bible so I, or out of the Book of Mormon. So I wanted to make sure that you're referring to this as a standard because of the scripture that uses that very word in there. Right. Number the one, or the second thing is, you've never said this is the only truth. When, um, when we're talking about a standard, it's something that you use to measure other things by. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that there is no other truth, there is no other meaning, there is no other explanation, but if something is uh, not easy to be understood, if something is uh, presented as false or an opinion that is false, then you, you have to go to a standard that kind of helps you determine, well, is this correct or not, like yes. such as eternal life. Yes. Uh, you know, say you have a scripture that's a little complicated about eternal life and there's debates and maybe it's being presented in a way that isn't in harmony with previous scripture, 
well, what do you do for the standard? You have to go to the previous scripture, hold that up, and then see, is this what it's saying? And then maybe you either see, well, we're understanding it wrong, or it's just a false a false prophecy, yeah. such as baptizing your dead or something like to right, that extent. Right. You got to come back to a basis at the beginning. You got to, there's got to be a place where the word was written where you can turn to the word, you know, prior to the argument or the question that can, mm-hmm. that can answer it. So number one, you're not saying this is the only truth and we're, we're going to get into the Holy Spirit as well. So let's. And, and, and what I wanted to say too is that, but the implication from our brother is that well, the spirit can re, and and maybe I'm I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but you know it implies that the spirit can imply something different, and if you get something different, well, you go with that. I don't know, but let's right. Hear that what would be the, okay. I'm I'm saying the standard becomes the thing that you compare everything else to. If it if it measures up to that, it's truth. Because the challenge is, is you're saying that is it is the first and only thing that we we can rely on, and I disagree with that. Okay, you're entitled to that. The spirit of our heavenly Father leads us to all things and the truth of all things. So in that, the spirit of our of our heavenly Corey, uh, I, I think. Well, I know the answer. Uh, is the word of God that we read on pages any good without the Holy Spirit revealing to us? Yeah, it's it's always got to be hand in glove, I think. You mm-hmm. know. We, I remember my good friend Tom Mitchell teaching a adult Sunday school class at one time at Colburn Road, and he started out the class and said that he's done this before with, with youth and older youth. He asked everybody in the room, and these are people from, you know, maybe in the church a few years to their whole life, 60, 70, 80 years uh, knowledge of the gospel. How many times have you sat down and read the word of God and had that burning in your bosom, that, that fiery Holy Spirit that reveals a truth to you beyond any shadow of a doubt where you know the Lord just spoke to me? Mm-hmm. Do you know how small the response was to that? And even among those that would respond that, that that has happened, it's a very rare, rare occurrence. Now, that doesn't mean that the Lord isn't constantly revealing truth to us and understanding. But as far as where people say, the Lord has given me direction, I've heard that word of God, and I know it, that that was him. That's why if, if we were all walking around with that kind of um, <laughs> access to the Holy Spirit in an undeniable way, then God would never have a reason to have anything written down because yeah. it would all just be a one-on-one thing with him. But that's not his plan of mankind. He is always playing, as Rich Mullins would say, playing hard to get. He is something that you have to seek and seek out and knock and pray and find with all the energy of your heart. And when it becomes your number one desire, and as it's becoming your number one desire, he gives you light and truth in little bitty steps as you can as you can handle and as you should even be given stewards over because once you have a knowledge, your, your whole uh, stewardship changes because then you have the the ability to deny that truth. You have the ability to fall. And so God brings us along very tenderly as a loving parent. And we're going to read the word itself and say why 
why the the word is written down, not our opinion on why, but why it's written down. And that's because look at where the church is today, Corey. Is the church where it's at today because the spirit of our Heavenly Father is so easily understood that we all know the, the divine absolute will of God and, and we just, you know, every day is mapped out and we know what to do and why is the kingdom not here? Yeah, exactly. You know, <clears throat> I was reading in Alma 12 this week with the story of Ammon and King Lamoni and, and we all know the basic points of that story, but what jumped out at me was the phrase that these things happened because they sought God with all their heart, with all their might, with everything. You know, it's like that was one thing that I was just considering. How often have we ever done that in the church where it's like we just poured ourselves out to God? It's not just a little kind of a fast food little prayer, but I mean, it's like with everything, fiber of our being, prayed to him with desire. And, and that's few and far between. But yet, like you say, God is this being who is all capable and intelligent, and yet, he desires that he seeks that from us, that we can muster all of our energy to him in prayer. And there's something good in that. There's something demonstrably good through scripture in that when we pour ourselves out to him like, like no other thing. And that, that can be manifest, I suppose, in several ways. You know, maybe you decide it's by time. Like, I just want to spend days in fasting and prayer to you and kind of shut everything out. And it's like, Lord, I just want you. You know, it's like, God sees that and recognizes that and rewards that, I think, abundantly. And and so that's that's part of this process of, you know, and that's when he reveals himself to us, I think, in, in a great way, when we put forth an effort, you know, demonstrating that. Correct. I I agree. Let's let's play further here. Only Father is the only thing that can lead us to all things that are true. And in that then that's who we rely on is our heavenly father and the spirit that he gives us to lead us to all things. So let's, let's, of- let's just talk about that for a minute. You know, I, our, our brother didn't really define that, but if that's the case where it's like, well, it isn't really the word that's written that becomes the standard. It's however God reveals himself to us by his spirit. Then it all becomes about, what we think is our testimony of God and what we think the spirit is saying to us. I, I, in a sense, how do you read that? Well, if he's revealing himself to people in the scriptures and he is unchangeable, then, um, why, why wouldn't that become a standard to us? Yeah. You know, Um, it's, it's interesting in the book of Mormon too, that they make the comment, Hey, unless we tap these things into plates, whatever else is going to be gone. There's only this, this word that's getting tapped into plates. It seems that it was important enough that Jesus told the Nephites, hey, didn't I have Samuel the Lamanite say that there would be people, spirits, basically paraphrasing, who would rise from the dead at my uh, resurrection? And they said, yeah, he said that. And and um, did you guys write it down? He said, no. And, we didn't, and he caused it to be written down. It was important that was part of the record. It wasn't just enough that they dialogued about it, said, oh, yeah, he said it, and it happened. It needed to be written down. And for for the way God seems to work, even for a detail that minor, it's not just important, it's emphatic that the the details of the things he needs us to know are written. They have to be written. Every time Jesus was tempted by Satan after his fast in the wilderness, 
he responds with the words, it is written, it is written to Satan. With everything Satan throws at him, he didn't say, God revealed to me, or God, by his spirit, I know this is true. He always referred to back what was written in the word. And, and see, this is important that we understand that is our only tool to combat Satan. We have to know what's written, and we have to assimilate that. I mean, yeah, God's spirit can, can reveal truth and detail in that, but it has to come back from what's written. It can't just be a, a thought in our mind that we determine is the standard. Yeah, or, or or things are everything's up for for anything. Then. Exactly. It's 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 almost there's a premonition there that well, so you know there could be something new, something we don't have before that uh, has to become this integral part of salvation and part of our relationship with God. And I just I don't think that's so from. From the very beginning, we're blessed in this church to have records from the very beginning and see how cohesive they are through time that other people oh, don't have. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's why it's like, you know, if you, if you really consider what our brother's saying, it's like, well, you don't have to hold any real record of Scripture to be true. Um, you know, and if he said the Book of Mormon's infallible, I kind of like, or, or fallible rather, I kind of like to hold them to that and say, well, what part's fallible? I mean, show me, yeah. because we don't have anything else to compare it to. Now, you could only do that if you had another written word of God, right? And at this point in time, we don't. Not that there isn't more that could have been written or shared. We'll go on here. The Mormon has the truth within it. It is not infallible. It is not word-for-word truth. The Spirit... Also illustrated to Joseph Smith the revelations that he gave the church. He corrected to the best of his ability with the Spirit's direction, the inspired version. All of those are to us scripture. Um, that, That comment, the Book of Mormon is not infallible. It has truth within it. I agree to some extent with that, even on the very... First page of the Book of Mormon, Moroni writes, if there are errors in this record, then they're the errors of men and not the errors of God. And isn't it great that he included in that? Does yeah. He, hey, there, there could yeah. be. There could be. So as the Bible Project often points out, and they they step away from mainstream evangelical uh, preachers where there's an idea that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, word for word, absolutely yes. preserved. King James only. Yeah, zero, zero imperfections. No, that's absolutely not the case. And, and they said, and they've pointed out so well, it was not this, this gold book that fell from heaven from the hands of God to man that it has gone through men through the years. And as God speaks with men who are not perfect, to write his will. Uh, that's how he works. But I believe he preserves a narrative, a divine message throughout the word that is, uh, that is his knowledge being imparted to us. He knows that we need it and why we're going to get in uh, as we go, get into the, the book of Mormon and some of the other things it says about itself and just let that you know speak for itself. But the book of Mormon also states if there be, errors in here. They're the errors of men, but we know of no such error. And certainly uh, it was translated one time as compared to the Bible who has the propensity to have been translated hundreds or thousands of times and therefore uh, coming up with many more um, spots and spaces for uh, changes to be made. Uh, so 
a little larger context uh, from the, the comments which were made at the end of class, um, what was shared in class was, um, I, I, I'll back up, I, I went to class feeling a little like Abinadi did when he came back to King Noah and he said, hey, whatever you do with me is fine, but there's something I need to tell you and this is what it is. And, and he shares that God himself would come down and take on flesh. And what I did is I, I took time to go through and find other writers of the Book of Mormon who made this same statement that God himself would take on flesh. And you know what's interesting is that any person would be hard-pressed to find in the Bible, let's just limit it to the New Testament, two writers who say the same thing the same same way, you know, about God and everything. And it's like, um, you know, Martin Luther calls out Paul's writing and James' writing and even says, hey, I'm, I'll give anyone my special little PhD hat if they can reconcile James and Paul's writings, one of them against works, one of them for works. And how do you get that? And so what's interesting is that that's typical of a lot of the New Testament is people trying to wrangle someone's words against another, and it's, it's difficult. But instead, what I did is I took the Book of Mormon and I took every major writer and even the minor writers, uh, some people whose words were limited to a page, and they all had the same message. I'm talking Lehi, Nephi, his brother Jacob, Enos, uh, King Limhi, King Mosiah, Alma, Helaman, Nephi in the third book of Nephi, uh, and and then Mormon and Moroni. Um, and left out a couple too, but every single one of them say in powerful ways that the time would come that the Lord omnipotent, the one who created all things from beginning to end, Alpha and Omega, would step down out of heaven and take on flesh. And this is consistent through all these writers. It's it's not just, oh, I found one guy who said this, but there's someone who said something else. What's more is that none of the other none of those same writers ever say anything contrary to that. They never say, oh, yeah, and there's still this tribunal of three. I mean, you know, it mentions Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and it says, who is one God? It, it, it always brings it back to that. It doesn't leave it at that. You know, in Alma 8, we get this, you know, there's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, who is one God. And so, again, the the point being, that was the context where all this conversation evolved from, and to have... 15, 16 writers who all say the same thing, that's a standard. Yeah. And if there, if there was error, you know, perhaps in a word or, or something like that, uh, I assume that's, I shouldn't assume, but when, when Moroni says if there are errors, there are errors of men, maybe he's talking about a date or a name, but as far as the message of who God is, that's, uh, that's not up for debate in my opinion in the book yeah. of Mormon. Yeah. That's, that's not that someone had a, a false revelation from an angel of who God was, and that got into the book. That I, I don't for a minute think that's what he's talking about, and we'll see why as we read some of the other things contained in the book. Um, but that's, that's very important, uh, what you said right there. Many other things are scripture. So the standard, as you put it, is not the only thing that we can rely on. And what you're telling us is that that's what we have to rely on first and foremost. I believe that's true. And I disagree. Because there are other things. And even then, within the Book of Mormon, there are things that 
are diametrically opposed to what you believe in. Many other things there are that we can rely on. Reading from the Book of Mormon, this, this record was written by way of commandment, by the spirit of prophecy and of revelation. It was written and sealed up and hid up unto the Lord that they might not be destroyed, to come forth how by the gift and power of God unto the interpretation thereof, the interpretation thereof by the gift of God. And it is to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they're not cast off. And also it is to convince the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God. Many more things that we can rely on, Corey. And after the Gentiles do stumble exceedingly because of the most plain and most precious parts of the gospel of the Lamb, which he hath, which hath been kept back by that abominable church, the mother of harlots, I will bring forth my gospel, which shall be plain and precious, saith the Lamb. For I will manifest myself unto thy seed, and they shall write many things which I shall minister unto them, which how many times will they say it, which shall be plain and precious. These things shall be hid up. In them shall be written my gospel, saith the Lamb, my rock and my salvation. These things that we could rely on or not rely on, depending on you know, whether they're infallible or fallible, what does God say? They contain the gospel. The Lamb says this. The Lamb says they contain the gospel, my rock, Many other things to rely on, Corey. What else? The angel spake, saying, These last records shall have plain and precious things which have been taken away from them, and they will be, you know, they'll be restored to make known to all kindreds, tongues, and people that the Lamb of God is the eternal Father and the Savior of the world. Many other things to rely on. The other things have had plain and precious things taken from them. Plain, plain, easy to understand, simple, plain. Other things to rely on. Because of these things which are taken away out of the gospel of the Lamb, an exceeding great many do stumble, yea, insomuch that Satan hath great power over them. It says the record came forth from the mouth of the Jew. We talk about that as the Bible. That it went forth and that this church, this abominable church, took away plain and precious parts that it might pervert the right ways of the Lord, that they might blind the eyes and harden the hearts of men. Have our eyes been blinded? Have our hearts been been hardened, Corey? Has the church... Uh, been taken captive by the doctrine of men instead of the plain and precious doctrine that God preserved and hid up and brought forth in the Book of Mormon? Do we lessen its importance and say that it's it's just one of many things that we choose to, to use as truth? In, in some sense, but there's plenty to be said about how the other things are not 
are not the fullness, are not plain and precious, do not have all of the things that the Lord wanted. And that's why he preserved this record. A, a friend a, a, a friend asked this question in class, and I've asked this question of you, Corey. Why is this important? And in talking to this friend, the statement was made, uh, I never understood why this is important. It's just not been a big deal to me. And and that's uh, that could very possibly be true maybe in that relationship with God that there's everything that needs to be there in that relationship and um, God people have different testimonies of Jesus and, and God and uh, and maybe I'm a stubborn heart I don't know uh, I think though that my, my I've pondered on that a lot and I thought why is this important and we the fact that we ask that question, is the biggest commentary on the the failing of the Restoration Church, in my opinion. Amen. That we can sit here in 2021, uh, you know, so many years removed from 1830, do the math, and say, why is it important that we have to discuss who God is or to see him as this Book of Mormon is presenting that always causes debates? The church has never evangelically and and with emphasis and with power preached salvation through our eternal God that took on flesh and blood and died for us. And we have not been able to witness the fruit of that in a people that can easily tell the salvation story. And because we haven't witnessed that, we're we're choosing or, or it's not evident to us why it's important because we look at where we are now, and it's like, well, why is this important? Why do we have to divide, quote, divide over something when we can all be friends and happy and continue to meet together? We've never seen the fruit of a people that have embraced this gospel in, in, in 100% as it's been presented hmm. to, see, to see the Lord's fruit to be born that he intended. Yeah, that's beautiful. As I, I don't know if that makes sense, but the fact that we, we do question it Gets, I think gets that. I don't think we do understand. I don't understand why, but I know now that the message is so clear that I have to pray about it. And so that God says, only the Holy Ghost reveals this to you. I want my heart to be changed as I go into greater communion. I want to know God as he is. And I think through that knowledge, I am transformed in the inner man, oh, but not a false idol, not, not, a, not a man-made God in our image of who he is. That's, that sums it up. That's it. Uh, and so to say that nothing else bears witness of him or there's no other truth or that is, is not true, but to say that this comes first, let's refer to the Book of Mormon. The, the comment was made that there's things contained in the book, that the Book of Mormon is, a, is a, made up of a number of books. And so uh, let's say that something's written somewhere and that was just to that people or that book within the book. Um, and actually, I want to I want to make sure I don't put words in the mouth. So let's let's play this again and make sure I don't misquote this. So, almost, I believe that's true, and I disagree okay. because there are other things, and even then, within the Book of Mormon, there are things that di- are diametrically opposed to what you believe in. I won't get into that because I'm not into contention this morning. But I disagree with the fact that it is the standard. Even though it says it's a standard. I'm sorry. 
you're still talking about separate books, separate records within the Book of Mormon. It is only a record of the dealings of Jesus Christ with those that were here on this this two continents. Not, not unlike the Bible. I'm sorry, but that just really, really, in my opinion, minimalizes so much everything that the Book of Mormon says about itself and the purpose and what the angel said was the purpose of maintaining and preserving that record. That just really, really minimalizes all of that. I wish that, I really wish that um, we could talk more with the with the, the person making the comments because uh, I really don't want to put any meaning in it, but it seems to me like the Bible had some truth for the people in Israel, and the Book of Mormon has some truth for the people on this continent. And then based on the previous comments, uh, perhaps the Doctrine and Covenants has the best truth for us here, or at least a very good truth for us here in the last days. And he said within the Book of Mormon, there are books. Well, I want to read from Moroni, and then Moroni takes these records, and he's going to put them in the ground. He writes this title page. He's not writing in one book. He's writing as a man who has... Uh, he's seen the span of time. He's seen the span of time. He's seen all of these records condensed down, and now he's going to comment on this volume of work. And so it's not one person's idea. He's saying, this is what this volume of work that, you, that you're that you going to have is, is for. He says how it came to us, Corey, by commandment, prophecy, and revelation. Hmm. Written by way of commandment, prophecy, and revelation. And the purpose, not just one book, not just one writer in the book, the purpose of the entire volume to convince Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God. Plain and precious parts of the gospel were to be restored, without which the Gentiles stumble. We're told facts of the Book of Mormon, the Lamb of God is the eternal Father, and it contains the fullness of the gospel of the Messiah. Uh... All of these things are found throughout the book in different places. He condenses a lot of that down in the title page and tells us that it is to convince Jew and Gentile that Christ, Jesus Christ is the eternal God. Yeah, that's that's it. If you go to 1 Nephi 4, 16, um, or 1 Nephi 4, 1 Nephi 3, you read a lot of other things within the record that talks about the exact record and what its purpose is. I'll just I'll pull that out so I don't misquote that. Um, just to read it specifically, also to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. You know, this that God is going to manifest himself to all nations. Um, it's, you know, and it says... Hey, if there's a fall, that's a mistake of man, but don't condemn the things of God that you can be found spotless at the judgment seat of Christ. More than once in the Book of Mormon, the writers say, hey, I'm telling you these things. And then they say, and I'm shaking my garments right now. I'm shaking off my garments. Now, if they were doing that physically or if it was just a, a figure of speech, regardless, they said their their point was what you have heard is the pure word of God. And 
what I'm warning you is the warning that God wants you to have. And they're separating themselves from the responsibility. It's like, God, you've commissioned me and I've fulfilled my duty now. And I've told these things. And when they say I'm shaking off my garments, they'll say, and you'll see when you stand before God at the judgment day that these things I've told you are true. You know, so in those records, uh, obviously those things they're saying are these, this very nature of God, that Jesus is the eternal father. And so again, you know, I, for, for our brother and people like him, um, I, I feel like this problem, if you will, is the epitome of the restoration of the problem of the restoration in that, you know, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to over dramatize it, but it's that, that if people don't feel there's a standard, if people don't feel that the Book of Mormon came in to teach us these things, it's like, what are we left with? And maybe that's why we're in the position we're in, where it's like, yeah, there's no real unity, there's people dividing, there will be more restoration groups, it's all this. people keep dividing on these things, and it's like, what we don't need is another restoration group. I mean, we don't need more division. We need to put our pride aside and come back and say, what was the standard that maybe we've missed, and, and start learning what that is. Yes, and... One of the things I think Moroni was referring to, or at least one of the things that that backs up what he said, is in First Nephi three uh, and one eighty three. And just when when asked or presented with the question, "Are you saying that this is to be taken above and beyond other scripture?" and if the answer is yes, well, then if you don't agree with that, then how do you explain this uh, purpose or this statement in First Nephi three? And after that the Gentiles do stumble exceedingly because of the most plain and most precious parts of the gospel of the Lamb, which hath been kept back by that abominable church, which is the mother of harlots, saith the Lamb, I say, wherefore, I will be merciful unto the Gentiles in that day, saith the Lamb, insomuch that I will bring forth unto them in mine own power, in mine own power, much of my gospel, which shall be plain and most precious, saith the Lamb. If the Gentiles, us, are stumbling because parts of the gospel have been removed, and God says, I'm going to bring it back to you very plain and preciously so that the purpose is you no longer stumble, how can you say that that then, that, that information that's been brought back to you doesn't supersede the information that you had before that caused you to stumble? <laughs> it's, it's logical. It's the only explanation. And so my only request is that if you don't believe that, that's totally within all of our agency to believe in what we want. But don't say that somebody is twisting or someone is superseding Scripture above other Scripture because of their own desires or... Just admit the fact that I reject what the Book of Mormon says. It, that's and that's fine. That's, that's, that's totally within your right. right. You're rejecting what the Book of Mormon says, but it's not because it's not plain. It's not because we don't have that information or because it hasn't been made known to us. It's because we choose to reject it That's based it, on whatever it, reason. And, and there is no one in the Restoration, at least in the conservative elements of the Restoration, who's willing to say that. But yet in their hearts... That's ultimately what it means is that, you know, you're saying, well, I guess I reject that part of the Book of Mormon. And and that's where the stiff-neckedness comes in. You know, the, this verse you just read uh, about Gentiles stumbling because of plain and precious parts removed is followed in verse 192 and 193, where it says, These last records, which you've seen among the Gentiles, shall establish the truth of the first 
uh, which are of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, and shall make known the plain and precious things which have been taken from them. So, you know, the the purpose was to to share plain and precious things. The question is, what are those plain and precious things? And then verse 193 explains, and shall make known to all kindreds, tongues, and people that the Lamb of God is the eternal Father and, and the there's, Savior of the world. Moroni says in his title page, the eternal God. And so you could, I could see, well, okay, well, this, yeah, the eternal Father. Yeah. And, and, Corey, and let's, I just want to point out right before you read that, what was the very first line of that? And the angel spake unto me, saying, oh, there you go. Yeah. So this isn't. Uh, you know, somebody writing what they think. It's like an angel mm-hmm. told me this, and so here I'm going to tell you. So there's, I don't know how much more God can uh, take out the error of man or or something infallible, yeah. at least in this instance. It's like in so many times in the Book of Mormon, uh, we've been commanded to write. The angel, Jesus here says you didn't write. It's like <laughs> direct revelation from heaven. So connecting the dots, we get, what you read in 183 says it's going to restore plain and precious things. In verse 192, 193, the angel says, here's a plain and precious thing. The Lamb of God is the eternal Father and Savior of the world. You know, that it, it almost implies that's the most plain and precious. But now I want to jump all the way to the very last words of Nephi. And it's in Second Nephi 14, uh, I think it's uh, verse 9. He's talking about when Jesus manifests himself to the people in the flesh. You know, and this is 600 years ahead of uh, past Nephi. But he says, he concludes all of his words and he says, And now I, Nephi, cannot say more. The Spirit stoppeth mine utterance, and I am left to mourn because of the unbelief and the wickedness and the ignorance and the stiff neckedness of men. I mean, it's as clear as can be. Unbelief, wickedness, ignorance, stiff-neckedness of men. For they will not search knowledge nor understand great knowledge when it is given unto them in plainness, even as plain as word can be. I mean, it's it's everything we just said. It's like, I'm telling you how it is. This is what it is. And you're rejecting it. And you're being stiff-necked. You know, you, you want to use... Uh, and, and here's the problem in the restoration is that we want to use recent church history and we want to use writings of other people to say, well, this is God. This is what God is saying to us. And so it conflicts with the standard. But I'm like, no, I think the standard came here and we're supposed to put our own words down for a little bit and then read this and assimilate this and live and act on this. And, and Nephi, you know, Nephi, I mean, I don't know of anyone who compares to Nephi in his stature and his spiritual discipline, but he's like, I'm left to mourn because here's knowledge and here's understanding. It's as plain as plain can be, and you won't search it. Within the Book of Mormon is written that these things were preserved so people would know how to come unto Christ. Uh, in First Nephi 4, he says, uh, for the space of many years after... After that, uh, God is uh, the Messiah has manifested Himself in the body under the children of men for the space of many years. After this, so many generations, then shall the fullness of the gospel of the Messiah come forth unto the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, that's that's the Book of Mormon and the writings that were were preserved come forth unto the Gentiles, and then from the Gentiles unto the remnant of our seed, that they are the covenant people. And to the knowledge, they'll come to a knowledge of the gospel of their Redeemer. Um, is The purpose is just uh, so uh, plain that really, uh, 
I don't I don't know how to to get around that. I do want to say though, Corey, uh, this this can never ever ever become a a little sphere, a little ball of it can never and it has it becomes an item it becomes this little ball that we hold and we look at it and we say it's divisive and uh, it becomes this theological entity this little animal of its own this one god or three gods and and that's what i hate is that it's the work of satan that because people try to well no you have to believe this way no you have to see it this way it's like we are talking about the God of creation yes. of the galaxies yes. that, 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 that uh, our little simple minds cannot comprehend unless he reveals himself to us. And so it's not that I'm not trying to convince anybody that I have a, a PhD in understanding how God exists, but I do know this. If you take it to the extreme of the other way, do I know how God the Father can be in heaven and God the Son can be here on earth at the same time and, and everything doesn't fall apart. I don't understand that, but I do know this. We have changed the nature of him, whether we speak the exact words or not, in our philosophy in this church, all the way down to the fact that one day you will dwell with a one part of a God or a different part of a God, and that is how separate we have made him. Yes, And that is the end result. So, I don't know all the intricacies, and I'm not saying I can explain it to anyone, but I, I can explain this. We, in our culture, have changed the nature of God from the very almost beginning of this faith of the Restoration, and we've left the Book of Mormon and its plain teachings, even as, as it's recorded in the Doctrine and Covenants, and we're under condemnation until we return to it. So uh, I never, <laughs> I can't teach a class on how God exists. I can teach or I can point out what the scriptures say about him and let the Holy Spirit then teach each individual. I have great faith that as people open their minds to that and just take the words of what they say and pray about it, the culture of the church changes. The relationship with God changes. Yeah, yeah. You know, gosh, Mike, that, that is just beautiful. Um, I, I, I will say that in teaching at Living Hope, specifically just recently, that on the flip side of everything we're talking about, what we haven't shared are the more than I can count comments of people who are like, man, this is just beautiful. I've never seen this before. And it's like, it's life changing. Like this changes how we think and how we teach and how we preach. And, and there's an excitement brewing among people who are like realizing the standard and accepting what it is. And it's like, it's, it's powerful and it's growing. It really, really is. It is just an excitement over the word. And then to have people reach out from all parts of the country with emails and texts and communication saying, Hey, you know, for years it never made sense, but every time I would try to question something, you know, I was a heretic or I was shut down or I was looked at like I was crazy. And, um, it seems like there's a spirit in these classes that use words like, well, these are your theories and your theories have been taught for years. And it's like, stop that. Mm -hmm. You can say that this is a theory of the book of Mormon and you can reject it, but don't, don't, when someone puts up a whole plethora of scriptures and the entire class is based on the word of God, don't say that's your theory. Exactly. That's, that's, that's the book of Mormon's theory and choose to reject or accept, accept that, but not, not men's theory. And then you're presented, Corey, confronted with questions all the time. Well, how, how does Jesus pray to himself in the garden? And how does that? That's not our job to explain that. Although 
there are explanations and we've talked about them, but that's not put on men. Yeah. That's put on the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. It's like I present to you as a minister of Jesus Christ the Word of God contained in the plain and precious gospel. And the Holy Spirit's job is is to take your understanding and reveal to you who your God is and how he is mighty to save your soul. I can I can do what my limited sinful mind knows is as revealed to me by the Spirit, and let the Spirit tell you if that is yea or nay. But but um, to, to ask and to provide the source of all truth for every answer as to the nature of God, that is not on, I mean, how can any man take on that responsibility? No, Absolutely not. No, we can't, you know. And, um, yeah. and don't you think, though, that's like maybe when we have classes like that, that's the expected result at the end? Yeah. Well, you're... You're messing with my theory of the Trinity and all this. Tell me how this works. It's like, I'm just telling you what the Book of Mormon says. Let that move in your heart. Yeah. You know, a brother uh, texted after a class, oh, maybe it was class three or four there, um, when we had that longer dialogue of uh, the previous week. And, um, you know, his comment was basically, at first, because he was watching live, and I just share this because it touched me that he said this, but... Um, I didn't feel any inclination to really respond to anything. You know, some, some of it was directed at the word. Well, why does it say this here and this somewhere else? And I just say, thank you. Next question. You know, and, and some people, someone was directed directly towards me, you know, your theory. And I just, thank you. Next question. But in the end, um, I didn't feel any need to have to contend with anything because I had already presented God's word. What, what can I add to it? You know, um, and, you know, there are situations where it's like, I'd, I'd like to clarify. And you, you know, skillfully pointed out, said, let's let's offer and open up to, to go to people's homes and sit down and open the word there, you know, hear, hear specific things and have a dialogue. The the restoration tradition is that we, we like to have a short fuse and quickly ignite into uh, arguments and contention. It's like, I wasn't there to contend. I was there to read. And that's all I had done is read from the word. And so... In the end, I know that leaves some people a little unfulfilled. It's like, he didn't engage me. You know, it's like, well, I'm not here to engage you, you know, but um, I'm, I'm here to help answer questions and maybe we can work through. But as you so well pointed out, I can't answer the questions. I can't tell you how it is that the moon rotates around the earth and doesn't fall out of the sky. And I can't tell you how, you know, my my pituitary gland can regulate hormones by the thousands through my body and control things. I don't have the answers to those things. And I, I, I can't answer how it is, you know, necessarily either that Jesus prays to himself in heaven, but I can see that the scripture teaches that the son submitted his will fully to the heavenly father so that he became fully human. And in that had to do the things that humans do to survive. And one of which is prayer, you know, and it's like, so, so in the end, um, I just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting cause, cause our friend kind of said it's, it just seemed like, um, you know, a contention would have saddened things. It's like, yeah, it would have, but, but in the end, the, the people who also, on the other hand, are hearing these things and some for the first time, uh, in the restoration, man, they're strengthened by this and, and they, they might not comment at all, but they're like nodding in agreement. Like, man, my gosh, this makes sense for the first time in my life. And there's a peace there. There's an assurance there that um, it's resonating. And again, it, it just seems to be growing and it gives me courage. I, I'm taking heart that somehow maybe we're crossing over a, a, a boundary of the restoration where it's not so much about, 
I don't want to say this incorrectly, it's not so much about the restoration in the church as it is about the, the truth that God restored and living and being those people. And in the end, it's like the, the works that we bear, the fruit that we bear is all out of this outpouring of his love for us, that the people we become make a difference in the world and in the future and fulfilling the covenants because now finally we, we hold on to God as he is and as he wants to reveal himself to us. And, and, um, and, and we see eye to eye in that, you know, that's, what's exciting is that there's somehow nothing's nebulous now. It just, it fits into place. Someone after church was talking about, you know, if you watch today's class, which was class seven, I put up two or three slides from the go ye and teach series, which, you know, it's like, I think he called it the restoration plumbing of salvation, where you got all these lines connected, right. all these different things and T's and elbows and connectors. And it's like, you know, as I said in class, just to repeat, you know, try sharing this with someone sleeping under a bridge and tell them you've got good news for them. You know, right? it's like, what, you know, or you show them the picture of Jesus and you've got either justice or mercy or which one do you want? You mm-hmm. know? And And it's like, in the end, I think when we come to him and we realize, no, it's, this is the answer to our sister's question is like, what does this change? Knowing this, it changes everything. It changes everything about the fabric of who we are and our purpose and why we're here and, and, and our message to share to other people. It changes what we preach. It changes what we tell our children when we're kneeling at their bedside at night. And it, it changes what we share with people who've never heard the name of Jesus before. It shares what we... It changes what we tell the Lamanites. It it changes what we hopefully one day we'll tell the Jews. And so that's, to me, the essence of this conversation. I think ideally it changes the way we worship God as a corporate body of people. Each one of us can be blessed, Corey, with truth and understanding in our individual walks with him. But when when we talk about missionary work and evangelizing the world and going out into our neighborhoods, When we come together as a body of people, we have to know who we worship and what we worship and what his truth is to us, and we have to be unified in that worship. And if we begin to worship God, knowing him in our hearts and having him revealed to us as he really is, those worship experiences, I can only imagine how beautiful they will be and that that will be such a wonderful tool to really... uh, converting the hearts of men to, to God. Mm, you know, that's a beautiful image just to picture people worshiping united in who their understanding of, of the Savior is. And, and those experiences, I would have to imagine, transcend into becoming the Nephite, even the Lamanite experiences, where their hearts are changed mm. instantly, you know, and they have no more disposition to do evil. And they're they're, they're these beautiful people who never turn away from the truth again.